Welcome to Empower Dash 2021. My name is Ashley Turner and I am your podcast host who is a domestic violence survivor and is here to empower you to say fuck you to your adversity and go from being a survivor of your life to thriving in your life. So let's get straight into this shit. Welcome back to Empower Dash, guys. I have got a guest all the way in America, so like literally on the opposite side of the world where she's in summer at the moment. I'm clearly in winter with my fucking flannel and stuff shivering and she's living her best life. Barb (laughs) is our guest today. Her story is going to fucking blow your mind. There's actually a lot to her story that we've got to try get into this bloody 40 minute sort of podcast, but honestly, I'm so grateful to have you today, Barb. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me and finding me and, you know, inviting me to do this. I know. I literally stalked Barb down on Instagram. I was like, I want someone with this particular story because I'm not going to say what it is. She's going to tell it. And I stalked her down, found her energy. I was like, this bitch is on my level. I need her. (laughs) And lucky she accepted. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I am so glad that, I mean, apparently using hashtags is what you need to do. I mean, if you You don't use them, use them. It's a niche. I was trying to find it. So today's episode, we've got a lot to get through and I don't, honestly don't know where to start, but we'll start right from the start with you, Bob. Can you tell us about your major life-changing event? Yeah. Um, so I was, so currently I'm 35 years old just to give people like, you know, a time frame. Um, I was 21 years old. I was going to college um, four hours away from my family and friends, um, living my best life, you know, doing my thing. And um, I was going to be a certified veterinary technician and help animals. And um, I was visiting my family for Christmas and I was heading back to work um, four hours away. And I wrecked my car between the two points. And I ended up losing control of my vehicle because I hit a patch of black ice. I don't know if everyone knows what that is, but essentially what that is, is hidden ice. The road looks like it's wet, not frozen. So you don't necessarily know that it's ice that you're hitting until you hit it. And it's a little bit too little too late. Um, my, I lost control of my vehicle and I was not wearing a seatbelt at the time. And I, the back of my car crashed into a bunch of trees. Um, and I was paralyzed on impact. Um, I sustained a T10 incomplete anterior cord syndrome, spinal cord injury. Um, I was sent to a nearby hospital, um, where they put two rods and nine pins in my back to stabilize me. I then got sent to a rehab facility, um, to learn how to live my life, um, from a wheelchair. And, um, that was kind of the turning point in my life at the age of 21. Farah, and just to think like that is such a massive change in anyone's life. And I was just going, what was I doing at 21? Nothing compared to that. I was a single mom at 21. Like, and you went through something like that, like just to put things into perspective. But as a young woman who's still trying to figure out who the fuck she is and what she wants to do with her life, like what went through your head when they told you about your injuries? So I remember the moment like the doctor came in and told me that I was never going to walk again. And I was like, you don't know me, motherfucker. I'm going to walk again. Just you watch. Don't you tell me what I can and can't do. I'm going to prove y'all wrong. Um, Because, you know, when you 
you your the human brain cannot really wrap its head around the concept of permanency of something like that forever so like to really when you hear that you're like yeah no that's not mm -mm. I, I can rehab this if i work hard enough i can get that because i feel like human conditioning has taught us hard work will get you to where you want to be and sadly that's not the case with most spinal cord injuries is what i've learned <laughs> um but you know that was the first thing that went through my head and you know as the years went on it was that that mind what went through my head had changed you know each year and it was probably about year five that I really was like, I ain't walking. Yep, I'm fucked. <laughs> and I just, I'm like, this ain't happening. No matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, all I'm doing is setting myself up for failure. Um, so why not just accept the inevitable and move along with my life? Because you can move along with your life. Because if you dedicate your whole life to just walking and rehab, you don't live a life. So not saying that stuff's bad to do. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is if that's what you do your whole life for the rest of your life, what are you going to have to show other than you still being paralyzed? Like you can get stronger, you can get, you know, but the bottom line is your spinal cord's damaged. And until that spinal cord is able to be healed. And right now there's no medical advances out there to heal a spinal cord injury. It is the only part of the human body that cannot heal itself. Salamanders can heal their spinal cord, but not us. So, you know, fuck those salamanders. <laughs> but yeah, there's nothing out there. You know, people are like, Oh, what about stem cells? Um, that's not a proven thing at this point, you know, there's clinical trials, there's things going on, but it doesn't fully heal it. Um, there's like implants that they're doing clinical trials on again, it doesn't heal all types of injuries. There's, you know, there's things that are out there, but ultimately there's not enough money being invested into it to really further its advancement at a quick rate. So um, right now there's no cure for a spinal cord injury. And I've been at this for 14 years and I'm, there's still no cure. So <laughs> I just want to say that your mindset through that is a lot more positive than I would expect someone's to be. And you hear about it in all the sciences that yes, in most cases you can, uh, like heal your body through your mind, like really having that. But in this case, yes, obviously you can't. But I love how positive and determined you were throughout all of that. And I don't know if you had exposure to other people going through that that mm -hmm. weren't in that positive mindset. Can you talk about that sort of difference? Yeah, like, I mean, I never really associated with anyone else with a spinal cord injury. I didn't really talk to anyone. Um, the only person I talked to was an individual that, you know, sold my wheelchair to me and he had a spinal cord injury. And he, at the time when I first was introduced to him, he was like 10 plus years into it. And he kind of was like, yeah, I ain't fucking walking. You're not going to fucking walk. And, you know, I was like, don't tell me what I'm going to do also. And it was just, I have now learned now that I'm 14 years into it. And when I come across a new spinal cord injury, I know that they're probably not going to walk again, but I understand me telling them that isn't going to be the solution they need to hear. They need to just figure it out in their own time. They need to come to terms with it on their own. For me, it took five years to really realize I ain't fucking walking. 
So like there's this, my body is as healed as it's going to get. This is as good as it's going to get. I gained some stuff back, not a lot, but it's better than what it was at the moment it happened. And it is what it is. And, you know, they need to realize that. So I always just try to remember where I was at that, that moment that they're at and just kind of say, Hey, listen, you know, I understand where you're at and I'm here for support. If you need anything, call me, you know, come go, come out with us, come do this, come do that, do this, do that. Like I try and recommend them to get involved with the community because being involved with the disability community is the best thing that I feel like anyone can do. So um, that is, I mean, even able-bodied people, like you guys should get involved with the disability community. We're a bunch of cool cats. So, <laughs> um, so I always, am like, that's the best thing anyone can do, um, in general. So that's kind of where I go with that. I love that though. With, um, you, you touch on support system. So what was your support network during that? Yeah. So, um, at the time of my injury, um, I had a boyfriend that soon became my fiance after my injury. Um, and he was my rock through that. Um, and then, you know, my family, <clears throat> my mom, she had a disability herself, but she um, stepped up and was essentially my full time caregiver taking care of me making sure I had what I needed. Um, you know, my brother and sister were there, my dad, you know, was there when he could be. Um, he worked all the time, you know, and, um, I had a lot of friends at the time of my injury, but, um, it was obvious that after my injury, they slowly started disappearing one by one. Um, you know, cause Barb was crazy. Barb was this Barb was that, um, instead, because they're 21 years old, they're a selfish 21 year old. I mean, like that's, you're, that's a mindset. Like I can't look at them in anger because I realize you know, they could not process what happened to me and the reality of what happened to me could hit them also. And that's a really scary reality to a 21 year old. And so, um, you know, they just started to disappear. Um, a friend of mine, um, was in the military and she got out maybe six months after my injury and she ended up becoming, um, my friendship rock, I would say through it all. Um, and yeah, I would say that that was pretty much my support system at the time. Um, you know, back in 2007, eight, there wasn't really a social media community like there is nowadays. So I was pretty much on my own, um, figuring things out. And you said um, you speak really so highly of your mother. So can you take us through, I guess, that journey with your mother throughout this? Yeah. So, um, you know, my mom, my dad worked all the time. So my mom really raised us. Um, and she was a stay-at-home mom for the majority of my life. She worked a little bit. But, um, you know, she was just, you know, she was always full of love. She trusted in how she raised us to go out and make the right decision. She wasn't controlling. She wanted us to grow. You know, she never held us back. Um, it was always, you know, I felt like she really has instilled in me to be an advocate and everything else um, before this happened to me. And then after this happened to me, you know, I saw her go into mother bear mode when um, you know, providers and stuff were jerking me around. Um, and she was just very supportive. Um, and uh, early on in an injury, you're still trying to figure out how to manage your body, your bowels, your bladder, all that stuff. And, 
um, you have a lot of accidents and stuff. And she was there to, to support that and to go through all the mental anguish. You know, I had breakdowns almost every day about it, you know, about something else I realized I lost. Like, you know, you realize the stupidest shit that you lose that you're like, I probably wouldn't do that shit anyways. Like, I'm, why am I crying about it? But the idea of this is probably never going to happen again kind of like sets sets the tone and so um shortly so i got paralyzed on december 30th of 2007 and um on december 30th of 2008 so less than a year later my mom died suddenly in her sleep then um and so that was i always say it was a little bit more devastating to me then my spinal cord injury, but I think the spinal cord injury happening, me trying to figure that out and her dying compacted the issue. Um, and I felt like I was set back, you know, 20 steps with the whole mentally healing game. And I just thought, you know, the world was ending and I could not imagine my life without her in it. And, um, that, that was probably one of the hardest moments and times of my life. Like, I don't even remember 2009 that much because <laughs> it was just a blur. Far out. And it's, yeah, it's like you've just gone through that. Your biggest support system has gone after you've seen, as you said, those 21-year-old friends that did not understand the circumstances and the life changes sort of slowly disappear. Far out. But what about um, your fiancé as well? Take us through that yeah so um you know the day that I got that I found out my mom passed away I was actually with my fiance and he did save my life um at that moment because I tried to do an attempted suicide when I found out the um the news and so um he was my rock through everything that year I mean he was phenomenal um, and he actually served in our, the, the United States military as a Marine Corps, um, and a, a Marine, yeah, Marine Corps. He was in the Marine Corps. Sorry. <laughs> so, and, um, he ended up, um, he was one of the first units that was sent into Iraq. So he suffered from severe PTSD throughout our whole relationship. Um, but when all these things started happening to me, he was a real rock and support. And he ended up, um, it was in 2010, he ended up starting struggling with his own things as I started to kind of come to terms with mine. And he kind of refused to get help. Um, and it, I was not going to leave him because he didn't leave me. Um, and so I was like, you need to get help, please get help, you know, and he just refused to really help himself. And, um, until someone chooses to help themselves, there's not really much you can do. And so, um, we ended up parting ways at the end of 2010, actually on Christmas. Um, and at that moment I now lost you know, my third support along with even more friends between the time period of my mom dying and me and him separating. Um, I lost more friends between that time frame, And, um, you know, I literally just felt like my world was crumbling around me and I just couldn't even 
imagine because I knew when we ended things, I was like, I'm probably never going to find someone to love me again the way he loves me. I'm giving up my um, life up here in Scranton, which is four hours from where I live. I'm giving up my life there. I'm giving up my friendships up there. You know, I'm probably not going to be coming back here much, you know, so I knew you know, separating from him, there was a lot that was going to change in my life as well. So that was another hard um, loss. And, you know, I was now like, what, 24 at the time, and I just went through loss, 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 you know, things that would crumble one person individually, but all back to back. And um, at that point, I felt like I was already depressed from the beginning, and it just compounded to more depression. And I didn't really realize, I guess, how depressed I was. It was just a normal daily life to me. I was just surviving day to day. And that's how I continued my life every day um, after that. And um, my support system at that time, again, became my brother and sister, my father, and my best friend. Her name's Chrissy. Um, they, they were the only ones that were consistent in my life at that time. So how did you go from going through all that in like what four or five years to being where you are now like such a you're so radiant you're so vibrant you're so positive and everything like that so what was that process with your mindset and everything like that your belief systems your values to get you from there to where you are today take us through that um like I was saying I was so depressed I didn't realize I was depressed um if someone's like Barb, you're depressed. I'm like, no, I'm not. You're silly. <laughs> and so, um, you know, like I kind of touched on a little bit when you have a spinal cord injury, you have bowel and bladder control issues. Um, and I was really struggling with that. And it was obvious to me that that was what was disabling me the most. And um, the way to solve that was with some surgeries. And during this time frame, the first five years of my injury, I ended up putting on an excess of 100 pounds of weight during my depression. Um, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't, you know, and so I went to food as comfort. Um, and I would probably say I'm, you know, a binge eater. And so um, that is just kind of what I've always gone to for comfort. And so um, I ended up talking to some doctors and to make a very long story short, they said to me in a more polite way, but hey, you're too fat. Um, we can't do these surgeries. You're going to have to lose this weight. And I was like, how the fuck am I going to lose this weight when people with two legs at work are complaining they can't lose weight? And they're like, well, you can do it. You know, we're going to give you some supports and it's up to you to do that. And um, the supports, you know, were given to me and um, over the process of about two three years, um, I ended up losing the hundred pounds of extra weight. And it was probably halfway through that process that I realized just how depressed I was. Like I remember driving and I was like, like nice sunny day. Everything's so great. And I was like, wait, this is how a normal person feels. And I'm like, Oh shit. Huh. And like, I realized I had more energy. I was getting out more. I was going to the community more and I was just living, you know, my best life, just going and being active in the community. And I was just like, wow. Okay. I was going to the gym. I was trying to get stronger so I could transfer better. I could get more independence. And throughout that time frame is whenever I think I really kind of started building on my mental aspect of things. I really started understanding, you know, what I went through. I really started kind of comprehending all that. 
and um you know i i kind of accepted my injury more um and that was kind of you know through that process i ended up discovering a platform called miss wheelchair pennsylvania a family friend told me about it and they were like you should compete for this and i was like okay i'm covered in tattoos and swear like a trucker and have piercings all through my face like what tells you that i'm a pageant girl okay like fuck no and my my brain was telling me no that was my brain's thought but my intuition was telling me to look further into this and when I looked further into this, I realized it was an advocacy platform. And because I was more active in my community, I was realizing these things that I was dealing with in my community that were not equitable towards me. And I was like, okay, this is some shit. Like, why, why are people treating me like this? Why are people doing this? This is crazy. This is nuts. And it just got to the point that I was like, I wish I had a platform to like tell people these things. And so when that opportunity presented itself, I was like, you know what, if that's an advocacy platform, I'm doing this. So I competed for the title of Miss Wheelchair Pennsylvania 2018 in March. And I ended up of uh, 2018 and I ended up winning the title. And when I won the title, I was like, shit, now what am I going to do? Cause I still didn't get those surgeries. So I'm like, shit, what am I going to do? Um, and you know, things started getting more regular with a better diet and stuff with that, but I was still struggling here and there, needed help here and there. Um, and so I ended up, um, you know, going and figuring out how to manage it at least short term. And I ended up traveling 20,000 miles to and through seven different states and um, did 68 appearances during my time as Miss Wheelchair Pennsylvania. And when I was Miss Wheelchair Pennsylvania, that was the first time I was integrated into the disability community and understanding the disability culture and the disability identity. And um, that was the moment that honestly, I feel like really changed my life and my perspective 100%. Um, it made me see life through a different lens. And um, I would say that's how I got to where I'm at today. That's incredible. I love that whole. So I'm going to call that your fuck you moment. Like <laughs> you did probably something that most people would be like, why are you doing this? Don't embarrass yourself. Don't like, you know, put yourself out there. You're just going to fail like that whole, you know, those kind of people. And you just went, no, fuck it. I'm going to go do this. You've won it and you've just built this sort of like momentum. Like this was part of your, it was fate kind of thing. This is part of your uh, journey. It a hundred percent was like, um, it's just funny. Like people who knew me in like high school and younger, they're just like, Barb, who would have guessed a quote unquote pageant would be like, what changed your life? And I'm like, right. That's the irony of this whole thing. Like who would have guessed Barb's Blotney would be you know, my life changed by a pageant system, but it was um, when I went to nationals. Um, I remember going before nationals going, listen, I don't want to be around a bunch of chicks in wheelchairs, bunch of drama, bunch of caddy bullshit. I don't want any part of this. Like, I don't want to go to nationals. What the hell's in Grand Rapids, Michigan? I don't want to do this. Whatever. I guess I have to do this. I signed up for it. So I'll fucking go, but I don't really care. And like by day two, I feel like I drank the dis disability Kool-Aid and was like, disability pride, yay, love my sisters, yay. And like, um, you know, some of the people that I met at Nationals are some of my best friends today. And I, it's so crazy that I've only known them for three years. It feels like I've known them a lifetime. 
um, because we have literally grown together and experienced different things together. So that was really uh, being part of the community is honestly where I, I, I have to give thanks to. I love that. And you've sort of broken down your own perspective or perceptions of people with disabilities. Like you've mm-hmm. obviously had these internal beliefs and yeah. just doing this, some, like something that's out of your comfort zone has literally just fucking blown that out of the park. And it's like probably opened new things for you completely. Yeah. Like I, I have actually found it's a double-edged sword now because um, I live the able body life and I was, I had an ableist mindset and now I live the disabled life. And for the longest time I was a ableist wheelchair user. And I feel like everyone still has those subconscious biases in the back of their brain. Um, but you know, I definitely am more aware of them. So now when I'm around able-bodied people, I have a very hard time dealing with it because I can actually see it clear as day now because I did it myself. And I'm like, Oh my God, what the fuck? Like, hello. And I try to say things and try to educate. And, you know, some people are willing to get it and some people aren't. And that's the d- disheartening part are the people who don't want to get it and they're never going to get it until it's them. And that's the thing with the disability community in general is everyone's going to become part of this community, whether temporary or, or long-term. Some of us get here sooner than others, but if you live a long enough life, you're going to be disabled. You're going to get old. You're going to use a walker. You're going to use a wheelchair. Like, you know, that's the end goal is live a long, healthy life. And that's part of the aging process. So like, you know, I just happened to get here sooner and now I'm able to advocate for those older folk that don't got the energy that I got to go out there and make the world more accessible to break down these stereotypes. I mean, just because someone's old, everyone's like, oh, that stupid old person. Like, well, why? Like, because they're old and it, you know, like it's just one of those things and I catch myself doing it too, but it's just, you have to just be so, um, aware of your subconscious biases as it pertains to disability you know just because someone may communicate without words doesn't mean that they are lacking you know intellectual capacity and people talk down to them and people like people talk down to me and i'm just like i got a broken back i didn't i didn't get a head injury here like what what's you know and they just think of me as less than and it, I see it in so many different ways when I interact with the able-bodied world that I'm just like, it's some days it's exhausting. When I go out into the community, I literally have to prepare myself mentally um, for some crazy fuckery to probably happen. <laughs> and if it doesn't, I'm like, yes, I made another day with no fuckery happening. But, you know, the fuckery could be as simple as someone like me asking someone to get something on a shelf to help me and them go, yeah, no, thank you. And they like walk away or it could be as simple as you're something as complex and dangerous as, you know, I'm breaking down my chair, getting into my car and I'm like getting the base of my chair in my car. Cause I have to break down my chair, put it in piece by piece. And when I'm doing that, someone tries to rip the base from me, causing me to fall out of my car, which is then in turn hurting me. So, you know, people think they're helping when really they're hurting and people just assume they can touch my wheelchair. Like I've had random old guys come up to me in a parking lot, wanting to push me up the parking lot. And I'm like, because I'm like going like this maybe, and they think I'm struggling and then they try to push me straight. And I was like, um, sir, can you just let me go? Oh no, I'm helping. I'm like, no, you're kidnapping me. If I want my body to go like this, that's my prerogative. Like, 
just because you think I need to go this way doesn't that's no different than like some dude just coming up and picking you up in a parking lot and like taking you to where he wants like that's kidnapping so don't move someone's body against their will unless if they ask and it's an intimate thing for someone really to push my wheelchair so you know it's not really a thing that I'm like yeah please push my wheelchair for me unless if I ask you to I think that's <laughs> a great a great point for anyone listening to go just take a step back like always ask if they want help if they say yes then do it but just don't step over those sort of boundaries and stuff like that this this is my kind of thing I always tell people to ask this to themselves before they even ask someone to help them so if you see someone with a disability doing whatever and you think they need help ask yourself would you ask an able-bodied person if they need help with this task if the question is no just smile and say hi to the, them and say, hi, how are you doing? And don't even acknowledge their disability. Just smile and say hi to them. Make it a humanized moment so these people feel human for once and that they're not just their disability. And when you say hi, you know, how are you doing today? They're going to be like, oh, good. How are you? And like, if they need help in that moment, you are now a friendly face for them to ask for the help. But if they don't need help, they're going to be like, wow, that person looked at me as just a human and kept walking, you know, and that's all you need to do. And it, it makes it a humanized connection. And it's so often we are just looked at as helpless with a disability and no one sees the human aspect to it. And when you just assume I can't do it, you just piss me off even more. So I one just once I would love someone to look me in the eye and go, hi, how are you doing today? That's all I want. And, you know, again, if I need help, I'm going to say, hey, I need help. Like, as you can tell, I, my voice works. I can ask for help, but I want to try it myself. It may look to you I'm struggling or they're struggling, but really in their head, they're like killing this transfer. They're killing this moment. And now you just reminded them of their disability in that moment. Cause I'm not thinking of my disability when I'm dealing with my chair. I'm just thinking about what I need to do next. Like I'm spacing out like most people do. Like, so that's, they just made me aware that I'm never going to look normal by society standards. And I'm always going to set, be set apart from things. And that's to me, what I think society needs to change is just looking at us as equals. I love that. And I think that's probably the most powerful thing that you've said throughout this whole podcast. So that's definitely going to be a teaser or a quote right there. But something that I really wanted to ask you about as well, and I'm sure people would want to know, is around dating now. Because your ex-fiance and yourself did break up. So, And you're such a freaking confident woman. You know what you fucking want. How has your dating life been? It literally hurts my head. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the club. Yes, um, it hurts my head. Um, I have been told by several men that I intimidate them. Oh, wow. And that I'm, yeah, I'm intimidating to them. And I'm like, why? Because I don't put up with your shit because I call you out on it right away because I'm not just going to go, ha ha, smile, you know, like, no, I'm not going to pretend to be someone I'm not to make you happy. You either like me for who I am, disability and all, or you don't like me at all. Like, I don't, you know, this is part of my, who I am. And sometimes I feel like, you know, my world is so entrenched in the disability life 
now, like my jobs that my nonprofits are that like everything I do is disability, visibility focused. And so like, when they're like, Oh, what's new, I'll be like, Oh, this is what I'm doing. And then you could tell like, they're like zoning out, like they don't care. And it's just like too much for them. And they just they don't understand it. And that's fine. But you know, uh, to me, I'm at a point that I don't even know if I want to 100% put a lot of time and energy into dating because I'm still working on myself to be the best person that I can be. And if I'm not the best person that I can be, then I don't think I'm going to find the right person for me. Everyone says, I want to find my other half. Well, I don't know about y'all. I don't want to find my other half. I want to find my equal. That's what I want to find. And until I find my equal, I'm not going to settle. And, you know, I think a part of it too is my ex fiance, looking back, treated me phenomenally until his mental illness took over. So I have this comparison of what unconditional real love is. And I shouldn't compare things, but that's what I know I deserve. I deserve this. And I feel like a lot of people think I should settle for less and I should be happy just because they're talking to me and I'm disabled or, you know, whatever. And that's no, I'm not, I'm not settling for crap because I have a disability and broke my back once. Like, no, I'm deserving of my equal. And if you're not my equal, I don't, well, don't waste my time. I got a lot of shit to be doing and I don't got time to be dealing with your crap. And I think a lot of women put so much stock in their identity in the man that they're dating. And I think it's become, I see it so often, especially with disabled women. It's like, they don't feel complete unless if they are dating someone and it doesn't matter who that person is, as long as they're able to identify as, you know, in a relationship, they don't care. And to me, that's something that I'm very aware of. And I just don't want to be that person. I don't want to date 50 gajillion people. I don't, I, the next person I date, I want that to be my, the last person I date. Like, I don't want to deal with this superficial wasting my time thing. Cause I don't got time to waste. So, um, and if men find me intimidating just because I speak my mind and I'm living my truth and I'm doing what I need to do, then they're obviously not the man for me. So <laughs> I love that. And I want everyone to fucking listen to this. I don't care what fucking gender you are like, take it in. Cause I've said this in so many of my podcasts and I've been single nearly four years now, not dated, nothing, no dating 10 years. You're beating me. So you're my idol. But I will refuse to date anyone until I'm ready because I need to heal. I need to figure my own shit out. And you know what? I had this realization this month that I don't think I even want to date. Like I am so fucking happy with what I've built and what I'm doing. Why the fuck would I want someone else to come in and take my time? Like, Yes, preach, girl. Like that's pretty much like I'm like these girls, like I'm friends with, they'll call me and tell me all kinds of crazy fuckery these guys are doing. And I'm like, why, why are you signing up for this? You are like a knockout bombshell and you got your shit together. You don't need to settle for that. Like, why are you putting up with that? Like, why don't you just be single? Like, because you can be so much happier. But like, like I said, they just put their whole identity into a relationship and that's what they think is happiness. And I truly believe that you have to find pure happiness within yourself before you can be happy with someone else, or it's never going to like, if you're looking for someone to complete you, 
it's always going to end terribly and you need to find your equal. And I've been single for 10 years and some people are like, oh, that's terrible. And I'm just like, listen, I'm so comfortable being single. This is like the normal for me. And a guy should come into my life and make it easier for me, not bring more shit into my world. Like I got enough shit. I don't need your shit too. And especially if you're not going to be like compassionate about my shit, I don't need your shit. Like get, get away. Like you're, you're too much. I don't need this. Like I've talked to guys and stuff. And when I talk to them, you know, within like a week or two, I'm just like, Oh hell no. Like, you know, they say something that's a red flag and I've learned something in life that those small red flags early on, AKA poor behaviors early on, um, end up being the breaking point in the relationship and the long run. So, you know, those things you overlook end up becoming the problem in the long run. So don't overlook these things. If something in your gut's like, "Eh, that's not right. I don't really like that. Then realize this is a, 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 pre-screening of what's to come it's going to get 10 times worse in the long term so if they're showing you something early on don't think it's going to change a leopard never changes its spots sweetheart unless if you skin the leopard and it had a traumatic injury or something really happened to it and it was forced to regrow its spots a different way that's the only way that the leopard is going to change its spots and even then it's a hit or miss <laughs> I feel like we are the same person, I think. Like, I am a (laughs) professional red flag dater. Everyone knows this, hence why I am saving the world by not dating. Like, I'm just, (laughs) I'm done. Like, it's safer for me just not to date. But I honestly think we could sit here and talk all fucking day. And if I ever, with COVID fucks off already, come over to America, we need to go out and have a fucking drink because I think it would be a fucking hoot together. That's for sure. (laughs) But I don't drink, but I don't drink, but I'm all about having like a Coke, you know, like, you know, sipping on some Pepsi Coke, whatever. I'll drink for and, you then. Yeah. Yeah. You can do that and I'll be your DD and exactly. you know, we, can, we can go and find all the red flags in the world together. We 100%. can go buy some red flags and be like, here, bud, here's your red flag. <laughs> that That's me. I need that when I start dating, like no red flag, just everyone <laughs> stop, get out. I have... Yes. A few final sort of questions for you before I hand over the reins to yourself to ask me any, but if you could go back in time before that accident and give yourself one piece of advice from who you are today, what would that piece of advice be? Um, I would probably just tell myself to not give a fuck about what other people's opinions are of you. Do what makes you happy live your life to the fullest. Don't live in fear. Um, I felt like when I look back at my life before my injury, I definitely lived in a lot of fear more and I was hesitant to do things. I wish I would have traveled more. I wish I would have done things more when it was easier. Um, and I would just say that to myself, like live life to the fullest. Don't take things for granted. They could be gone tomorrow in the blink of an eye. Hundred percent. And what would be one piece of advice for someone going through this right now in the early stages? My advice to them would be, you know, I understand you don't want to identify as disabled right now. And I understand that, you know, this is a hard thing, but find other people with disabilities, whether that's on Facebook, whether that's in your area, 
um, and try to get together with them, hang out with them. And, you know, you may not feel like you have anything in common with them, but you can learn from them and they can teach you independence. They can teach you how to do things more and gain some more independence and freedom and, you know, possibly even recover some more, you know, so they are literally the essentially the ambassadors to what life is like with a disability and they know things that can really help save your life in some regards um you know i was told about something that ended up i think saving my life in the long term when i think about things so you know i wouldn't have known that if i wasn't talking to other disabled people so um that's something that i really encourage people to do is find that disability community find other spinal cord injury um survivors and go and talk to them and even if it's not spinal cord injury survivors other people with disabilities i love that piece of advice and what is your life mantra or your motto if you can't stand up stand out oh love it love it And my last thing for you is, do you have any questions for myself? Uh, Yeah, I would like to know, you know, what drew your um, interest in looking and learning more about spinal cord injuries? Really good question. For me, it's I've actually never met anyone that's gone through it. And it's always, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm one of those people that like to just think about other people's situations and go, what would I go through or what would I think if I was going through that? And um, just to put myself in other people's shoes. And it was interesting that heaps of what you're saying is exactly what I would sort of think. Because you know how there's heaps of people like, you don't understand because you haven't been through it. But I go, I've been through domestic violence and that fucking shit was tragic. It's not tragic compared to what you've gone through in my eyes but it's like we all go through these different traumas it's basically the same healing process though different circumstances but mindset wise and belief sides it's all very similar and I love hearing people's stories that I've honestly not never sort of you know dealt with or personally come across just to test that theory And you today, how you were speaking and your perspective really validated that for me as well to go, you know what, actually, I might not have gone through what you've been through, but we went through very similar journeys mindset wise. And that's what enables me to connect more with other people. Awesome. I was just curious because I was like, hmm, that's an interesting thing to go look out for. Um, So thank you. No, but it's good that you're open about it because I'm sure so many people want to ask these questions that I ask. I've interviewed so many people and I've got into like really deep details with them and they're like, Ashley, I can't believe you asked that. I'm like, no, you've got to find the right people that are willing to talk about this stuff so you can learn from it because I know so many people are afraid to even ask these questions not trying to be rude but they're curious and so I've got a great opportunity to do that for people I get to learn other people get to learn and you get to sort of grow as well as part of it I always tell people I am 100% an open book and, you know, anytime someone wants to, you know, learn something about this or whatever, I'm willing to, to 
teach them because I probably would have been curious, you know, had I come across someone with a disability myself and never would have felt like I could ask. And I feel like now that I live this experience, I would rather someone ask me than just assume. Yeah, exactly. I'd rather them just ask than assume. And most people in my situation are the same way. Perfect. Do you have any other questions for me before we wrap this up? No, I think I think that was the main one that was going through my brain as we were talking. I love that. I love that sort of question, though. Curious to why I wanted to do this. But honestly, your story today is the definition of all of my empower bloody you know values and purposes there. But also you're the definition of not just surviving, but thriving, because that's just something I feel that most of us get stuck in and is just that survival mode. And you mentioned it throughout your whole story. So thank you for representing the thrivers and, you know, standing out, as you said, if you can't stand up, stand out. I love that. But honestly, thank you so much for today. Oh, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Um, I, did you want me to like talk about the whole tour thing too? If you, if you would like to, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, because I was like, that was the second FU moment. I was like, wait, we forgot that. Um, so <laughs> so um, another fuck you moment um, was um, just recently I got accepted um, to be a Torrid plus size model. Um, I will be the first physically disabled model. Um, they are an international clothing brand, both here in the States and in Canada. And, um, apparently my picture will be in the store and catalogs online, all, whatever. I don't know. Um, but I go in two weeks to shoot for that, um, for their holiday campaign. So keep an eye out also for that, um, and see me be involved with that and bring visibility to disability. I love it. So when you do go through that, please send me some photos. I 100% will. So we can advertise you everywhere. Yes, I am all about that. Um, and, I want other people to know, you know, if they are a new injury or whatever, that anything is possible. Don't, don't let society tell you can't do something that you are passionate and you want to do. Um, anything is possible. You just have to think outside the box a little bit. Love it. So that is a great place to, for us to just end it right there. So we'll keep our eye out with that. Thank you so much, Bob. I will put all her social media links and everything in the notes. But honestly, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Thank you for being you, staying true to who you are and wanting to change your life and taking action by listening to this podcast today. We are all here to be better humans and to be kind. But remember, empower people, empower others to be the change that they want to see in the world and in their lives. So let's fucking do it.